0: What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Deer Vein Podcast. This is definitely not part of the Deer Vein Whitetail series that I have going on right now. This is my elk hunt from 2020. So I got on the call with me, uh, Luke Shower and Mark Szeszski, two of my good friends that were out there, and pretty much did all the work for this elk. I just pulled the trigger. <laughs> so, so we're gonna recap, uh, recap the elk hunt, and uh, we're gonna go over that and really we're going to touch on, as far as like, we're going to touch on the story aspect of everything, but also just like the whole setup, like coming from the whitetail world to the elk world, there's a, there's a huge difference. And um, Mark and Luke moved out to Denver um, three, four years ago, just for, for work reasons. And they've been out there working on elk for the last four years and finally have like gotten a pattern going. So they were like my local guides through the whole thing. And I've been out there for four going four years, four different hunts over the course of like seven years. And, um, really I credit a lot of the elk, the elk success that I had to these guys, because if it weren't for them, I very, very unlikely (laughs) would have, would have got one definitely in the scenario we were in just because I, you know i feel like you need to bugle all the time and luke's like no get the fuck up there i'm gonna cow call and this thing's gonna come right to your feet and that's really kind of what happened <laughs> but um but yeah so we'll touch on on the differences and uh just really starting out um how about luke you go first and just tell people like a little bit about your background and in elk in and and a little
1: bit about yourself yeah um a little bit about myself from Southeast Wisconsin. Um, grew up whitetail hunting as a kid. Um, Mark actually reached out to me, Jeez, what were we in? I think I just graduated college and he said, hey, do you want to plan on going on an elk hunt? I think I said, yeah, let's do it. I didn't even have a bow at the time. I was just rifle hunting as a kid. Uh, bought a bow, did a, a year of uh, whitetail hunting, no success just doing public land type stuff um, but learned archery and we just got ready for trying to elk hunt. And, <laughs> was that uh,
0: with me? Was that your first year? That, uh, that was my second year. That was your second year? Yeah okay. so
1: me, Mark, uh, our buddy Todd and Jake uh, we all set out and uh, went to Colorado. That was five those five seasons ago. This is my fifth season and uh Yeah, I just started, did Elk 101, uh, tried to learn as much as we could, almost died my first day out in the mountains. (laughs) (laughs) I tried to drive straight through overnight from Wisconsin to Colorado, uh, tried to hunt the next day and bit off way more than I could do. You look at a map and it's like, (laughs) you think you can do it. And uh, being a flatlander, yeah, it was was, uh, pretty intense and. Um, yeah, pretty much just learned elk hunting by doing it, watching podcasts, elk 101, just uh, getting
0: after it. Yeah. Getting
1: after it, really? Yeah. So uh,
0: Mark, what about you?
2: So, yeah, so actually, uh, probably, I think it was 2000, 2001. So I was 11. My dad was consistently going on muzzleloader hunts in Colorado and I just, you know, he was doing drop camps with, with an outfitter where you basically take a, a horse up. They'd have the wall tent set up for you. And then you just kind of go around on for a week and then they pile in somebody else the next week and do that. So anyways, I was just, sure. you know, I always had a dream to go do that. And and then with uh, when 9-11 hit, my dad lost his job and he didn't go out for So when I turned 12, uh, I never got to go. So it was always a goal of mine to, to get out and start hunting elk in in Colorado, and obviously I didn't get to do it until, uh, I think actually you went, you invited me the year before my first elk hunt, Um, and for, you know, I just had graduated college, didn't have much money, didn't have any vacation time, ended up bailing uh, last minute on the exploratory mission for uh, work reasons, and then- uh, You didn't
0: miss much, man. It was just a hellhole <laughs> he
2: invited invited Luke out and a couple of our other buddies and uh yeah the first first trip we did we piled into Luke's truck, who I think had the newest truck he didn't want anybody else to drive it, so he drove the entire way uh, that was that was the first mistake was was just pet bringing one truck so so we ended up he i think he dropped uh my buddy Todd and I off at this mountain and at like in the morning, we said, all right, cool, we'll see you at 8 p.m. at night, Uh, we'll meet you right here, and uh, he's like, okay, great, we're gonna go back, Uh, we don't know where we're gonna go, we're gonna go somewhere, we're gonna go shoot elk, and we'll come pick you guys up at 8, and so about 7.30 rolls around, we we just, I mean, hunting, for those of you guys who have elk hunted for, you know, a full day, you know, if you got dropped off at 4.30, you are really, really ready to come home by 8 p.m., So at 7.30, uh, we start, you know, we're basically at the spot. We wait until about 8.15, 8.20 and look at Todd and I say, I don't think they're coming. (laughs) And Todd's, uh, we put in like 13 or 14 miles, didn't get into any elk, uh, didn't see any elk. And then we are, I think, four or five miles from where camp was and we're at the base of a mountain so we had to go all the way up. So uh, long story short, we had no clue what happened with uh, Luke and our other buddy Jake. So we were kind of worried when we didn't prepare. We didn't, uh, you know, we didn't have uh, garment in reaches. We didn't have, you know, any kind of way to communicate. So it, it was a it was a scary situation. Luckily, um, they just got uh, lost and a little bit dehydrated in the wood <laughs> and came back at uh, I think eleven thirty at night after a rancher gave us a ride back up to the the tent. But long story short, that's kind of how I, I got my start with uh, elk hunting. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that sucks. (laughs) Um, Yet, I wanted to open up with that just to give everybody perspective that's listening is like, you know, none of us are massively seasoned vets in elk hunting, right? We're not, we haven't been doing it for 15, 20 years. Um, We're coming at it from a perspective of like, hey, we've been doing it for a few years, like the first couple years for for pretty much everybody. It kind of sucked. I mean, Mark your first year your second year when you came out with with our group and same with Luke you guys got actually had opportunities and you shot I remember you shot a bowl or or you know you screwed up an opportunity where it came to like freaking 8 yards or whatever
2: um yeah so to your first yeah. comment i think my wife would argue that after uh, a bunch of time in the woods this september I, I'm an immature elk hunter. Um, but I'll have to <laughs> put more time next next uh next season if she lets me. Um uh, but no, you're you're right. I think my first season I shot one in the shoulder. Um at, right. and, and, and that was you know, pretty much just following the Corey Jacobson, you know, bugle over the elk kind of strategy. And I learned how to bugle and I was able to do that and did it enough and and ended up calling one into uh, actually it was supposed to be Todd shot. Uh, Todd got kind of pinned down. He wasn't able to draw based on this. So I was the caller and he was up in front. So it was about 12 yards for Todd and it was like, I don't know, 25 for me. Um, but he wasn't able to draw his bow, um, because this elk was so close to him. And so I ended up drawing back and, and taking a shot at it and didn't have proper arrow setup, didn't, uh, have proper shot placement. And, uh, we were high-fiving we thought you know we were whitetail hunters so we were high-fiving you know we probably got eight inches of penetration on this bull and he took off down there he was probably a five by five um and, and and we're high-fiving and stuff and we actually loop tracked the blood as well um for I don't know I think it was four or five hundred yards we a had and a storm it comes was in. <laughs> yeah the storm came in started snowing started hailing Uh, but I'm pretty confident. We never found the arrow, but I think that bull, you know, as tough as they are, I don't think, I don't think he died.
1: Hmm.
0: Yeah. And we'll touch on, I I was thinking we'll touch on the the whole arrow setup and everything towards the end after we go through the whole story. Cause I think that's a huge component and that's one thing that I know you've talked about multiple times is like whitetail hunters just come out unprepared in terms of their arrow setup like they really need to make some adjustments because it is i mean you know you're going from a, a deer you know that's 200 pounds to an elk that's three to four times the size of that with three to four times the thickness you know and density and all that stuff and you just really have to prepare for that but um but anyway that really sets us up for for this story so um when when I was like, I don't know, I think it was like early August or something like that. My wife's a my wife's a teacher, and it was tough to. Uh, I have a deal with her that I go elk hunting every other year, just because it's hard for her during the school year to uh, teach, coach volleyball, and then also watch our kid. And she's also pregnant right now, so that would be real difficult. <laughs> um for her but because of covid it's actually made it a lot easier because school there is no volleyball uh school's a lot more relaxed and um it, it makes it easier to watch the kids so she looked at me and was like hey or i said to her in august i was like hey if school kind of or volleyball goes by the wayside and schools canceled or relaxed, are you cool if i go El cotton and she was like, yeah, that'd be fine. Better this year than next. Cause then we're going to have two kids to watch and, and volleyball season and all that stuff. So I shot Mark a text. I was like, Hey Mark, can uh can I join you guys this year? And you were like, yeah, just don't bring anybody. <laughs> and I, was like, <laughs> I was like, all right, that's, that's a fair deal. You know? Um, so, so, uh, so yeah, eventually, I mean, all that, all that shit happened. And while I'm in elk camp, I had a wedding on September 19th and I left on the morning of September 20th. And I was in elk camp on, I mean, I was hunting the 21st, right? I got there at 2.00 AM, just drove through the night, got there at 2.00 AM, two 30, got up and, and started hunting. So, and also to set the stage, like we're, we're in an over-the-counter unit. So, it's anybody can go buy this tag, and it is definitely a pressure unit. There were lots of people there. Um, we didn't run into that many hunters, but I think that's we'll get into why. Um, but, um, and what else was I gonna say? Oh, we had like kind of a base tent, base camp set up. Mark and Luke and Todd had gone in there and set up, you know, a wall tent and kind of claimed an area for 14 days or whatever it is that you can stay in one spot. And, um, And then we all just kind of pulled in and there were nine, nine of us in total in camp. Right.
2: Yep. The largest we've ever had.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There were nine of us in camp. Um, Seven of us had tags and we just started kind of hunting and we, it wasn't like we were in pairs or anything like that. I, I know a lot of people like to hunt in pairs right away, but Mark, you were key in saying this in the sense of like, if you have 10 guys and you all hunt in pairs, that's five different areas that you're covering. If you all hunt solo, that's 10 different areas you're covering. So you can actually, you double the amount of ground that you cover and figure out and learn. And you guys had been hunting this unit for, is it three years that you've been on this unit? Is this your this, third yeah, year? This is our
2: this is our third year. And, and okay. to that point, I do think there is a better, there is an advantage to having a caller. There certainly is. Uh, as as you found out, I suppose. <laughs> um, but but I think collectively as a group, if you have 10 solo hunters and you have five people, you know, hunting in groups, I think, you know, to say it's, you know, your chances of, of success are 5%, you know, hunting solo and maybe they're 7% if you're hunting, you know, as a dual group. Um, so I do think they're better, but we collectively as a group, our goal is to obviously fill our tags as a group and if we do that, then we obviously will, will help call for people that haven't filled their tags.
0: Yeah, which is pretty much what happened happened for me. Um, but I also think like one of the hardest things in, in elk hunting coming from the Midwest or the East is just straight up finding the elk. Like that is one of the hardest things to do. So... If you're out there, like rather than hunting in in partners or pairs, like just finding them in the first place. And then after you find them, like, okay, I know there's elk like in this general area and out West, it's hilarious because I've, I explained to people in the, when I come home, people are like, what's it like elk hunting? I'm like, well, you know, on a hundred acres for whitetails, you're going to have like 10 to 15 deer. They're like, yeah. I'm like, well, out West to get 10 to 15 elk, you're talking like a thousand acres. So it's just like, there's just so much more ground to cover out there in order to find these, just find them, you know, just in straight up walking. Um, so, so yeah, I feel like once you, you know, you kind of divide up and conquer and figure out where they're at and then you would partner up. Like that's, that'd be the strategy I would have kind of going forward. Maybe the first few days you're all divided up and then, oh, hey, I heard a bunch of bugles over here. You'll us partner up and go try to tackle some of these elk over here but to your guys's credit you know being there for three years you kind of already had general areas where they're already where you knew there were elk but also at the same time mark i was i was going through Onyx and going through the waypoints you're like well anywhere is good
2: <laughs> i'm
0: like well
1: well help me out
2: <laughs> yeah the, yeah go oh, yeah. ahead dude i
1: would say a major thing with with this unit that we're in is how much the water fluctuates i mean the first year we were out here there was no water last year there was water everywhere and then this year there was hardly any water as well so it was like kind of finding these pockets of okay where where is water where are these seeps coming from where are these little uh, you know ponds or so to say you yeah. know these rivers are like pretty much dry so it's finding the water was a big, big part of finding these elk and finding these little pockets of elk. And where there's one, there's multiple of them because they're kind of just hung up in these pockets. So I think that's also something to consider when you're coming out west is what's the water situation.
0: Yeah. Do you have something to add to that, Mark?
2: Um, yeah, I was just going to say one of the, you know, one of the, you know, one of the challenges is, you know, when we first went out here, we would split up and we'd hunt different groups or different areas. And I still think we have a lot of learning. We spent a lot of time in here uh, with the dirt bikes and riding around and, and hiking miles in the summer as well. So we do come out to this unit and, and kind of understand, look for older old rut activity, put cameras up and kind of understand, you know, what trail goes, where, uh, is this a, an absolute bushwhack over here? <laughs> uh, things of that nature. Um, but yeah, it, it's, um, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's tough because it's like, you know, we want to find different areas um, so you don't have to hunt that same, you know, thousand acres every single day. You'd like to kind of give that a break and, and hike into here. And the, the challenge is, is, you know, collectively as a group, we want, the, the, we want our, our tent, you know, our group and our, everybody hunting with us to be successful. So when somebody hasn't seen elk, their natural reaction is, well, I know everybody else are seeing elk over here. And then we kind of all end up hunting a, a very similar area. Um, so I think, I think it's, you know, we try to pick a central place for the wall tent so we can just drive our vehicles, you know, 15 to 45 minutes, sometimes an hour, sometimes to to go to a a spot and be able to get after them. Um, but I think, you know, I think there's just those pockets exist all over this unit specifically, but they're, you know, you may have to walk uh, a mile or two miles to get to them. And sometimes it may be just some hellhole right off the road.
0: Yeah. Oh no it's, yeah because you shot I mean well you kind of shot yours it wasn't right off last year it wasn't right off the road but you dropped into a ditch off the road and kind of followed that down for a ways right yeah so
2: that right so I have I've been fortunate enough to fling an arrow every time I've been in this or every time I've been in this uh I I have not been successful enough to recover an elk every single time, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, so I shot I actually shot a a black bear at two yards. Um and then the well, okay, so my little brother who's never hunted a day in his life came out for a four-day archery over-the-counter Colorado elk hunt. Um
1: yeah.
2: so he'd been watching Cameron Haynes on on uh <laughs> On uh, Instagram and Joe Rogan would not yeah. really piqued his interest in the athleticism of it. So we, so he's just like, you know what, I want to see what it's, about, you know, what it's all about. So I'm like, well, it's going to be about a four-day bow hike. And if we see an elk, we're going to be really lucky. Yeah. And uh, first day we saw like 10 elk. Second day I shot the bear. And third day I shot the elk. So um, yeah, really, really lucky. But yeah, this elk, I think, what was it? The, I mean, it was, it, was, it was less than a mile from where the vehicle was um, as a crow flies. Um, but it was, it was pretty, it was pretty steep and pretty thick where I, where I killed this elk and then, um, the, actually it's the elk right behind me here. And then the bear was actually only probably a half mile closer to the road than what he was. Um, the bear was a couple hundred yards off the road. So, um, nice.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Certainly differ. Yeah. So I, um, i don't i forget how i got on that topic but um but yeah so anyway as far as like the hunting goes um day one rolled into camp i kind of go chronological and i just get kind of given my perspective i know you guys were all different scenarios and we can add all that in but day one rolled into camp 230 got out there at 5 30 i remember waking up 2 30 a.m <laughs>
2: for those of you guys not you know most people are thinking 2 oh, 30 p.m
0: oh, yeah. oh no yeah it's two thirty 2 30 a.m got up at five, yeah i drove i think it was 18 and a half hours or so i got my tag dude all the all the walmarts in colorado now close at 10 p.m for covid or whatever i got my tag at 9 40 that was the first Walmart I got to in Colorado. And I was like, dude, and they called four freaking, I was in there for almost 40 minutes. They called four people to come issue this tag because none of them could know how to do it. It was, it was a standard Walmart scenario. They're like, "Um, well, I don't know how to do that. So I got to call this guy. And then this, it'd take 10 minutes for this guy to come over and whatever. But anyway, I got my, I got my tag. Um, and, uh, yeah, got in at two 30 AM popped up at five 30 or five o'clock with you guys and, and got out in the woods and man, I was, I was a straight up zombie ended up getting into elk anyway. You know, I was just like, where should I go? That's that I'm not going to get elevation sickness. You know, that was like my key factor. Like I want to hunt, but I don't want to, I'm not doing a death march today. I'm just going to kind of meander into the woods and try to take a nap. And if I hear a bugle, I'm in it. You know, like that's all I wanted to do. And I ended up getting into into two bowls. And one was like I was just sitting down to eat lunch, finally taking a nap at like one o'clock, and he just sounded off. Um, and I thought he was about 150 yards from me. And um I took a I walked up about thirty yards up this grassy patch. I was in the middle of this big pine, this dark timber pine, and um I bugled back at him and thinking he was over a hundred yards away and he was under well under a hundred yards and he just screamed right in my face about shit. My pants didn't even have an arrow knocked and I could just see him. I could see part of his rack and I could see a little bit of him up in front of me, but it didn't look like he was looking at me or anything like that. I just had a general idea where he was. So I tried to take a step, two steps to like get a better angle on him. And he saw me and away he went but I was kicking myself cause I was like, Holy shit. Did that was the best opportunity I've had ever hunting elk, you know, that close. And I was like, did I just blow that up on the first day? And I'm going to have no chance the rest of the week. Right. So That's I was just like, is this happening? So all I wanted to do was, I think that night I got back and I, I got back at like three thirty or four o'clock and I went to bed at like seven. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, then the day after that, I think you and I went hunting, Mark, the day after that. Yeah, you needed a range finder. Oh, yeah, I did. Yep, because I dropped my range finder that day. I dropped my freaking, yep, I dropped my range finder in the woods. Um, and I dropped it. I remember exactly, like, hearing it drop and everything. I thought I kicked a rock. Like, I literally thought that's what the noise was, and I just kept going and i didn't have my onyx tracking on or anything cuz i was worried about conserving battery i realized i couldn't find, i didn't find it and it was just it all just went to hell but anyway we don't need to talk about that um the next day I, yeah we went with you and i where did we go the next day i wrote it all we, down
2: we went yeah so we went to one of my favorite spots um and we got oh, into yeah. those we got into those bulls where the the uh, jizz
0: the jizz bowl the
2: jizz yeah we got yeah. Into,
0: <laughs> we got into these yep we got into these bowls that um were kind of dude everywhere on the ground was just like and if anybody's been out west it's usually just like grass and dead timber because stuff just does not decay out there it's just older than old and we ended up blowing these elk out just that was 100 my fault like Mark was like, I don't know what we should do. I'm like, let's just run in.
2: <laughs> Mark was like, yeah, The storm was coming in. The wind appeared to be good. And I probably, I wanted, you know, the, the proper choice was to gain about 300 feet of elevation, climb up this really steep, you know, 45 degree phase, and then kind of come down around on the top of them because the thermals were ripping up at that time. Yeah. Um, Heller checks the wind and he says, oh, look, you know, he goes, it's, it's right in our face. It's perfect. Let's cut the distance now. And, yeah, I, I, I knew that that wasn't the right answer, but based on the miles we put in, I wanted that to be the right answer, and the wind was, <laughs> at that moment in time, very good for the situation. So we started, you know, beelining towards these this, this herd, um, and I, I, knew, I knew there was a satellite down below, um, and there's just no way that this satellite was going to keep ripping and didn't have cows, and then this herd bull kind of uh, piped off, and we kind of knew where he was. So we put you up about... 20 yards in front I sat back 15 yards I said you know what if the satellite comes in I'll whack him and if this herd bull comes in uh, you know you're gonna have the best shot. A shot yeah and uh, so anyways we checked the wind again and it's just for a split second it was kind of going towards him and then it started coming back in our face and didn't have a great feeling about it but after you know after uh, you know doing a couple calling sequences we walked over there and we saw a bunch of warm uh, beds with probably 30, 40 cows uh, where they were yeah. where they were bedded, fresh uh, shit all over the place. And then something I've never seen before, which was piles of elk piss with fresh jizz in it. <laughs> um, so
0: Yeah, they were rutting for sure. Yeah. There were two, two big stains of piss with jizz in them.
2: And yeah, like, and oh after God. and and after Heller tried it,
0: he said it definitely <laughs> was six by six. Uh, let's so just go. We at least knew how big he was. Mark told everyone at camp when we got back. Before I went to go see everybody, Mark went to go see everybody at camp. Was like, dude, you'll never guess. Heller tried the jizz. <laughs> That's just like no, I didn't. But I and Mark's like he could tell that it was a good six by six. But man, no, those, yeah, we made a move on those. And the thing that I like really struggle and love about elk hunting is like when you find them at like we found. I mean those those bulls sounded off on their own at like eleven a.m. or something
2: like that. Yeah, they were definitely bedded.
0: Yeah, they're like like you said, they were definitely bedded. So in theory, we have like six or seven hours to make the right play on them to think about it and figure it out. Cause they're not really going anywhere. They're staying within the, that acre or whatever. And we got time and it just gets me every time, like not every time, but it got me that time. Like, no, let's just rush in there. We got the right win. We can make a play and knock it out. You know, we should like, I mean, we should have, like you said, backed off 300 yard or got 300 yards of elevation 300 feet of elevation and then just waited it out until we had consistent winds and then figured it out from there and dropped in, you know, that's what we should have done. And maybe we dropped in at 2 PM, you know, maybe we waited three hours till get those winds consistent, but yeah, it was just one of those things um, where I got a little, little excited about it. But Luke, during that time, you had been hunted hunting your area, right? And that was not the day that you that you had a crack at the impossible that was that was the day you just saw his his rack on the other side at like 10 yards
2: no that that was, oh, that was, that was the day
0: that was we were, the impossible
2: was right before we made right before we blew the jizzbull out we were sitting in that northern north facing base and waiting for the wind to the thermals to start coming up so we could chase well, you know one of the satellites before we knew he was there yeah. and i got an in-reach message that said I just shot the impossible yeah. Luke Shower, yeah.
0: yeah, and it's, it, impossible was the nickname, which is Impossit and then B-U-L-L. So that's what they named this bull because Luke had been after it last year and this year, and he finally had a crack at it. So tell, tell that story.
1: Yeah, so I, I knew where this bull was. He was the, the king of this mountain, and uh, ran into him a few times last year tried a couple of different approaches last year and just could not, could not seal the deal. Could not get close enough to this bull. Every time we get up there, he rounded his cows up, took him out. I mean, we tried everything that we could think of. I mean, we're going through the elk nut app, we're going through uh, Chris Rose app, we're like, what the heck can we possibly do? We tried a couple of different things over the course of our what, nine, 10 day hunt and uh, just couldn't get in there. So all last, you know the off season. I'm like, how can I get after this bull? And uh, went back in there a few times earlier the season. Didn't go actually up into the basin he was in, but I pinpointed him. He was still in there, and uh, made a plan. And we just went straight after him. Just not trying to call at him. Um, just went straight straight to him. And sometimes that's kind of what I figured out this year is you can't just sit there and call at these elk. In these over-the-counter units, you gotta, you gotta put the calls away. You gotta hike your ass as fast as you can, get in there as close as you possibly can. We actually blew out. He had a, a group of I don't know, five, some cows, or five or more cows. Um, they actually blew out. We got so close. We saw them. They blew out, and uh, that's when we started setting up and started calling. And at this point. When, when we blew his cow, he wasn't really calling. We heard him call early in the morning. We said, yep, he's up there. We went 500 yards up the mountain. Um, heard him, you know, waited, heard him call again. Got up there a couple more, 100 yards up. And uh, that's when the cows blew out. And uh, we started calling. And there he was. He was about 150 yards. We started... Uh, setting up, we started calling, I was doing some assembly mews, and sure as shit, he's going bonkers. And we're like, wow, we're actually in on him. We thought he was going to leave because his cows blew out. But uh, lo and behold, we just kept doing assembly muse. Um, My buddy was behind me kind of acting as another cow. He was just breaking stuff, kind of acting like an elk and continued calling. And all of a sudden, boom, he came. And when he came, he came on a rope. And it was, you have no time to react. It's, OK, he's coming. You're set up where you are. If you start moving, he's going to see you. And I can just see his rack just busting through the brush coming towards me. And I'm like, oh my god, here he is. So I'm, I'm here. And my other buddy, Zach, was, I don't know, 30 yards to the left of me. So at least we have some area covered. And it's thick. Like, these bulls are not hanging out in, like, these big, open areas. Like, it is. It is thick. There's brush everywhere. There's down trees, and uh, he. And how straight-
0: far is your shot? Like, what's your shot window looking like for how
1: thick it is? Um. Twenty yards to maybe thirty yards. Um, not not very far where okay. I was. Um, and. I had a very small window. He's coming in frontal. He's charging straight in, like he's coming in on a rope. And <laughs> he came in and I, I drew and I said, Okay, he's either coming to my left or he's coming straight at me. And I didn't have a good backdrop, which is rule number one in the setup. Make sure you're set up with a good backdrop. Um, when your adrenaline's going and you don't have time to think, you're like it's hard to think about that, but yeah lesson learned (laughs) find a good backdrop i'm I'm just kind of standing out in the open and he when he looked up he saw me and i shot i hit him frontal i shot my my cow last year frontal and blew through the whole cow um must have hit a branch and didn't get much penetration i think i got nine inches of penetration air broke off and had a good blood, tracked him for I don't know 0.4 miles and lost him. Uh, but he was big; he's a really big bull. So yeah.
0: And you guys were in there. I remember getting that message at it was at like 7:30 a.m. Like I shot the impossible, and we didn't get another message from you until like noon. And it's like been tracking for X amount of yards or whatever, and then we didn't hear from you again until. It was dark and you were like, no bull on my way out, or something like that. It's just like shit. Like Yep.
1: Shot him at seven fifty. Shot him at seven fifty. Yeah. So this is a good another good part of the story. Shot him at seven fifty. Um thought it was a good shot. We all thought we had a dead bull. The impossible was actually shot and killed. Uh so we set up, we were gonna make some coffee, we're you know, on a high and also, we heard some crashing up above us. Here comes some more cows. Here comes two more bulls. I end up calling in one of the satellite bulls, again, to 20 yards from Zach. Zach's at full draw. He's waiting for him to pop through the brush. Um, and again, we were not set up. He sees our whole camp set up with our uh, uh, little you know, jet boil and whatever. He's like, what the heck is, <laughs> is Your packs are just all, all over our, the ground. Yeah. Well, this wasn't here before. So uh, (laughs) he ended up dipping out and uh, yeah. So we ended up calling in, you know, two other bulls right there. And yeah, after we shot him. but yeah, it was an exciting morning. No shit.
0: Well, yeah. So, I mean, that's, yeah. And that again, um, you know, it's just a, it's just a testament to how tough these animals are comparatively to whitetails. I mean, Um, but that yeah and that sucks and we all were feeling for you it just sucks because you went back the next day and spent the whole next day back in there just trying to find him and you ended up calling in that another satellite bull with the cows and he was now kind of like the herd bull because I remember you saying like that bull was the king of the mountain and none of these other bulls were having any luck with these cows but he's got to be hurting he's either dead somewhere and we got no blood and we can't find him or anything or um or he's he's alive and just licking his wounds.
1: Yeah, I I think he's still alive. I don't think it was a critical injury. I don't think I hit his vitals. Um you know we we tracked for as long as we could we you know until dark. That first day I went back the second day, looked all over the mountain the second day, no blood. Um and so I went back to the third day. And was like, okay, I'm going to come in from the other side and um, see what's going on there. And ended up, yeah, calling in the other bull that was on the mound. So there's three bulls the first day. And then the big bull left after I shot him, couldn't find him. Another bull came in and uh, he took over. Yeah, that other bull, he's quite hurting. He's licking his wounds and he's alive. So maybe next year we'll, we'll get a shot at him. Yeah just laying low yeah
0: so then yeah and that was the second day of of my hunt and then the third day I was off on my own um and I got into a ton of ton of elk I don't know four or five bulls one nice six and then a ton of cows but they were all on private they were like 40 yards on the private side and I kept hearing them as if they were on the public and I I made two attempts to kill them and both times realized that they were on the private and I couldn't get close. I couldn't, I couldn't kill them. And the second time I went after them, it was a pain in the ass. Cause I was up, like up the hill, I was going up to this big knob and I was up the hill and then I heard them down below me. So I went down there, realized that they were on, on private, walked my ass back up to the knob and then heard them again. And I thought they were on moved off the private onto the public. And uh, cause it was still early morning. It was like 7am or something like that. And there were sheep going through there and there were dogs. And I heard a four wheeler. It's like, all right, maybe they moved, maybe they spooked them all off on the public. And I made my way at, back down there another couple hundred feet. Nope. They were still on the private. So I made my way back up a couple hundred feet and I was just sitting there and I was just hearing them and they were just ripping. Like, I mean, I've never heard elk like this before. It was like, I was in a game preserve. Like they did not give a shit just bugle after bugle after bugle after bugle. I, I mean, and so I eventually was just like, I had to drag myself away from them cause I'm like these elk, I can't kill them. So I went, I, after that, I went on like a four hour death march, just looking for elk on the public and I didn't find them. Got back to that spot cause my truck was parked over there at one o'clock and they were still bugling like crazy. And I was just like, this is, this is absurd. And I thought I'd just be able to sit there and wait them out. And in the evening, maybe catch them coming over to the public, but all the the wind of that day was blowing right into them from the public to the private. And then also um, the thermals were going to go downhill right to them. So it was just kind of like a waste of time. So I just left. I just said, you know what? Fuck it. Like you guys win today. Maybe you'll be in a different spot tomorrow or the next day and we'll come back and kill you then. But that was the day you shot your cow, right, Mark?
2: Yeah, it was. So I actually, uh, hiked back into an area probably about as far back as I typically, or as, as I, farthest I would go. Um, and about the furthest back I could get, I was, again, I, I ended up bumping into some private where I couldn't really go any further. Um, I think it was about two and a half miles from, as a crow flies from where I'd parked my vehicle in that morning, I hiked quite a bit in the dark, but it was an area I was pretty familiar with from seasons before, um, and it saw a nice bull back there previously and kind of gave it a break for about four days. Um, so I ended up getting into there, and I'm hearing these, these bulls bugling, uh, bulls bugling on my left, and I thought I heard one a satellite over on my right. And, uh, you know, I basically got down to this, this drain where I knew that with the thermal still ripping down, I was still going to have the descent in my favor um, if they were to come down that um, that drain and try to go back to, it to where the other you know, elk were bugling. And these elk, similar to your situation, it was, you know, five, six, seven bugles a minute. I mean, they're just going absolute nuts. And, but I knew, I knew where they were and the, uh, couple, actually the four or five days before I hunted that or four days before when I hunted that I went into where they were and it took me, I think like two hours to go 425 yards. That's, I mean, this absolute jail bar, <laughs> brutal stuff. Like you're, you're shot and there's going to be four to five yards tops. It's just absolutely just, at, I mean, as, as Luke and I talked about this, as you're walking through it, you're thinking to yourself, man, I wait for elk season all year. And as you're walking through it, you're like, man, I need to pick a different hobby because it, it's just <laughs> awful. Uh, like, so anyways, like these bulls are just just ripping. And I'm like, man, I'm, it's taking every ounce of energy to not go after you know, the herd bull and these other satellites that I know are going up to where they typically bed in this area. And I'm sitting down there and I'm trying to call this other satellite I had heard over this, this ridge. And I'm kind of in like an open meadow. Uh, a gap between some aspens and some some really thick north facing basin, and uh, I was doing a couple of assembly mews, uh, some Chris Rose stuff, and uh, trying to get this this uh, this bull to pipe off, and I'm just like, okay, you know what? I sat there for 15 minutes, I'd ranged everything, I'm like, okay, I'm getting out of here, I'm going after these bulls. They just I couldn't take it any longer. These bulls screaming, and they're only getting further away, so I get about 150 yards up the the, the mountain into the thick stuff. And I hear meow, 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 and I'm like, "You got to be kidding me!" So I'm like glassing down there, and sure enough, in the aspen trees, I see an elk coming down. And so I kind of, you know, kind of book it down as far as I can uh, to to get back to my spot where I was, where I had all the ranges. I, I was probably 25 or 30 yards short of of that. Um, found a little bit of cover and kind of kind of hunkered down into there. And this uh, young cow was coming out. And basically, just you know, calling and and uh, so I'm like, okay, I'm not going to do any more calling. Hopefully, you know, she'll just make her way in. And I had this trail pinned at about like 46 yards, um, which is a you know, you know, this that's a long shot in this unit. Um, so, anyways, I was like, oh, this is going to be perfect. So I slide my pin up to 45, and I'm, I'm waiting. And uh, she ends up kind of wandering back the other way where she came from. So I was like, shoot, I'm going to have to call. So I did a couple cow calls and man she just came in like on a rope as Luke said just turned around and just like almost like a trot so I'm thinking oh maybe she'll maybe she'll just turn on this trail and my pin's at 45 and I'm sitting there and she's at you know maybe 140 yards and she's just a dead trot right at me um and I'm like "Uh oh here she comes here she comes and she's like you know 30 you know 20 15 and all of a sudden you know at about 15 i'm like man okay well i can still shoot her frontal with a 45 yard pin when she gets this close so i gotta draw back and as i draw back you know she sees me and just absolutely wheels out of there so as she's wheeling out of there i (laughs) go down and call a couple times and she stops like okay i knew the wind was in my favor so she hadn't smelled me she stopped and now i had to range again and i ranged her and she was like 83 yards um and then, uh, so I did a couple more calls and she came in and she was at 72 or something like that. And I, I drew back and I was holding and I was like, okay, you know, let's just see what's gonna happen here. And she ended up walking a few more yards forward and then started, you know, looking over and kind of very alert to me. And so I, I was like, well, shoot. Now I don't, in the, the arrow weight I shoot, if it's 72 yards and she's actually, you know, 66, you're gonna make a really poor shot. So I let down my thing again. I went to range a couple more spots and I ranged a bush that she was kind of headed towards and it was 61. So I'm like, oh, that's that's a shot, you know, I can make. So I ended up drawing back. And at this point, um, you know, I actually lost a, a nice six by six early in the season in New Mexico. I had a pass through and had a similar situation with Luke where I tracked it all day, had good blood, uh, never found the, the bull. So at this point, I'm like, I, I'm ready to fill fill my tag, fill the freezer. Yeah. Um, so draw back, and, and she actually stopped at 61 yards completely broadside and just, like, looks up there. And so I centered my bubble and took a breath and knew I had, you know, some time and made a quality shot. And she – you know, I knew as soon as I hit that – I didn't know where it hit, but I knew that it certainly had hit her, uh, and she spun – um, went up maybe five or six yards, tipped over, and then got back up. And I was like, oh, shoot. So I knock another arrow, and I was trying to range her. And then as I was ranging her, she tipped over again and didn't go any further than that. So um, so that was 7.50 in the morning. I sent everybody an in-reach and then uh, realized that by the time everybody else is three or four miles deep into their hunt, by the time <laughs> they got back to the truck, drove to where I was, and then hiked into the hellhole I was, it was gonna be one or two o'clock before they got there. Right. So, so I uh, made the executive decision to just debone everything and try to cool off all the meat and try to pack it out one trip and just you know go slow and, and make it. So that's what we ended up ended up doing.
0: Yeah, that's a hell of a hike. Um, but no, that's 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 cool. That's I always it's so interesting how elk are not, not always like as afraid of movement. And if they don't smell you, it's not as big as of a deal. And their eyes are much worse than, um, whitetail eyes. You know, they're not as key, keyed in on, on people. I mean, they can be, but it seems like they're just not. And it's a good point to make also that like you had been hunting. I mean, you'd been hunting, like this was your like 20 some day of hunting elk right yeah
2: I hunted uh well my season was 14 days I don't I, I hunted I skipped the last well I guess two days of the season but I was there two days prior um so yeah it was um I hunted uh the Gila's for the first time in New Mexico which man that unit the the unit I hunted was absolutely brutal uh hunting in early season just very very tough terrain very very rocky um, you know Colorado has some steep stuff but this was steep and it's like walking in a scree field with a bunch of grass in it I mean it was just it was nasty uh, I pr- was I felt like I was in pretty good shape going into it but that it's a it's a humbling experience so got to see some some good elk but the rut was really poor um, in New Mexico and actually in Colorado we had a pretty weak rut I think this year as well but yeah I was a uh, I don't want to say I was burnt out from elk hunting but <laughs> spending more days in a sleeping bag than my bed um yeah you was right. Uh, right. taking it What's home here.
0: yeah yeah so that was um that was day three um day four you and I hunted in that same area that you shot your cow and um we just didn't have the we did we had a we had a bull coming around and we just we went and checked or checked the ridge and we just made the wrong move and i don't know if he winded us or what but he just shut up and disappeared
2: yeah, yeah so the area where i heard you know easily a couple hundred bugles the day before uh we yeah. went back in there and obviously i didn't bump them they hadn't sent it me they were still yeah. calling when i was packing the, the cow out and we went back in there and we heard a bull calling we decided to take a loop around the back and try to get there and we never heard him again so
0: yeah i don't know what the hell happened there i mean he he might have winded us he might have just shut up for the day i mean who knows but yeah. anyway that was that day and then that evening was it that evening we went we went and did the five-man stand luke
1: <laughs> yeah we tried the ambush technique i think yeah <laughs>
0: <laughs> luke and uh yeah do you want to do you want to outline that scenario that was uh that was one of those things that you see people try and you're like, this will never work, but if it works, it'll be epic. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. So I've been watching uh, these elk since the start of the season and glassed them opening weekend. They came down into this meadow, they're feeding, working their way to a water hole. And then um, the following week, I went to the same thing on an evening, just glassing, just kind of uh, checking it out. They did the same thing. Um, so Came up with a plan that if we all go down there and we time the thermals right, wait for the thermals to start coming down, move up into position, we stagger a couple guys down in this valley that we could possibly get a shot. And uh yeah. we did we got yeah. close we had some um one guy saw the bull come down we could hear him bugling on his way down we'd hear rustling in the in the oak brush um, just didn't come
0: down to us to get a shot. So, That was was probably – that got my heart just thumping because it's like it's this big Aspen hillside that comes down and comes into like these fingers of oak brush with like these ditches of grass. And then those, if you can imagine, those are running east to west, and then there's one big ditch that runs north to south at the end of the fingers. So we all set up on the points of these fingers as they came out from east to west and met that ditch that runs north to south. So we're all just waiting for these elk to come down. And, and Luke, you had said like, when they come, they don't like to be in the open, they're running. They're running down these meadows and they're running across that ditch and they're running to that, that next set of cover. So like, just be ready. And I remember sitting there and I had a mule deer, a nice mule deer buck come in. And, um, and then after that, it was like hell broke loose through the oak brush. I didn't see anything, but it was like just chaos going on back there. Like just running around and all this stuff. I mean, you could smell them. You could smell yeah. these elk back in there. I mean, they were close and you were up ahead of me further up the ditch and you had elk on you and the guys down below us had elk on them. Like it was an awesome evening. It was so cool. And I was just waiting for those elk to come out and they just never did, you know, they were just back up in that meadow and in that oak brush, just a little bit too far. So after that, um, we all kind of sat around, we all got out of there, no, no shots or anything. And then we were all sitting there and we're like, well, you know, what are we going to do tomorrow? Blah, blah, blah. I was like, well, you know, Mark's got his tag filled. Luke, do you care if I come, come hunt with you? And you were like, yeah, no problem. We're probably going to come back here, but we're just going to go, you know, deeper in. So the next morning rolls around and Mark's like, yeah, dude, I'll come with you guys. And, and both of you have tags. I don't have a tag. I can call for both of you and we'll just figure it out, you know? So we get, we get going and we, we work our way up. One of those fingers, we hear some elk. So we stop for a little bit. Um, And so they were still there. And then we start working our way further up that Ridge and we're walking by this tree stand and we're all kind of sitting there. And then, I, I don't believe this actually happened, but Mark claims it happened. He's like, dude, I started cow calling because I saw the elk. <laughs> and, but Mark had also been cow calling like randomly or periodically as we were walking just like to make sure that like if there was an elk in the area, I thought all of our cracking and, and breaking sticks and stuff was an elk. And so Luke and I are sitting there walking up ahead of them. And all of a sudden, like Luke goes, shit, don't move. There's an elk right there like across the ridge and I look back and Mark's Mark's kind of giving me like the evil eye like yeah you fuckers I've been seeing it for a while now <laughs> and he just he it's just, that weird
2: spot where they're like 10 or 15 yards where you can't be like hey stop. Right? <laughs> yeah uh, so it's just, uh, that was my only thought was just to start ripping on the cow call thinking they would look back and be like okay you can stop that now or at least stop but not they kept they yeah, you guys didn't make it that far you another another five six steps up the mountain but right you
0: guys saw it yeah so this cow uh this cow is i think i ranged her right away at like 72 or something and she was kind of behind some some aspens she was across the across the ditch from us and luke's like how far is she and i was like i don't know like 72 and you're and you're just like all right, are you, you're going to shoot, right? And I was like, I don't know. I think she's coming closer. And I like ranged her again. And she was like 60. I was like, okay, I'll shoot her at 60, you know, and she's getting, and she, she stops and turns around like something spooked her. I don't know what it was, but she didn't really like something. So she stopped and turned around and then, and then the window she was going through like, it was like 70 and, and Luke (laughs) Luke looks at me and he's like, dude, shoot her. And I was like, dude, 70 is a little far from me. And you're like, let fucking drive heller shoot this cow you may not get another opportunity this is like your last day you're good at 60 you should be fine at 70 just shoot her. and i was like all right well maybe <laughs> you know? so i'm like so i started dialing my sight, and i'm freaking flustered and i'm just trying to get the pin right and i look up and she's through my window i was like shit and then, Luke, you tried to stop her at, like, 75 or something. I was
1: like, well, if you're not going to shoot her, I'll let <laughs> so right. I went full draw. Wait for her to get into my window. And uh, as soon as she hit my window, she started trotting. It's like, of course. Yeah. So, yeah, I tried to stop her, and she kept going.
0: Mm. Yeah, I don't know what, like, set her off or anything. She was just like, all right, I don't like this anymore. So anyway, she she blows through, and so we just kind of continue up the mountain. And we, I think we had heard a bull at that point, right? We had heard a bugle. Yeah, we kind of worked
1: our way up the mountain. Uh, I don't know, maybe a hundred yards or so, and that's when we heard the bugle. Right? Yeah. When there's one, there's more. So they're usually not by themselves. So we had. A, yeah, we
0: thought we were in it for a little bit, and we got into that like high valley like small it was a real real small meadow but just kind of like a small meadow that that worked into some real open aspens and we just sat there for like 30 45 minutes just like all right well let's wait for the thermals to come up luke you had been in that area you're like they'll usually come up over this ridge and and skirt the bowl this bowl that we were in and our sense all going down so when they skirt it they'll be up above us they won't catch our wind we'll be able to see them maybe we'll be able to call them in whatever so we're all hanging out there for a while eating some food just chilling and then you and you and mark are like all right i gotta go take a shit so both of you left and like within minutes of you guys leaving probably seconds two cows and a bowl come skirting through that bowl and mark's mark's in there taking a poop with his binos out (laughs) <laughs> it's like dude did you see those things i was like yeah i see them and and so then we're like all right well what are we gonna do and it's like what time was that that was probably like 9 15 so we made a little play they they were they were long gone and mark's like it's 9 30 and mark's like all right guys i already shot my elk um i'm gonna try to work a half day today so i'm gonna bail off the mountain and go go back to this lodge and see if i can uh i'll I'll use the wi-fi and just get working and we're like all right cool well we're gonna keep trucking see if we can find this thing whatever mark's like all right well i'm a way out i'll throw out a few bugles see if i spark anything whatever you know good luck guys so on his second bugle on the way out he did spark a bull um that at the time we didn't know how far away it was we're just like all right there's a bull like up there on the ridge somewhere i'm not quite sure so then Luke and I worked our way up that ridge and that bull kind of just bugled periodically, like every 10 to 15 minutes. You think
1: Luke? Yeah. Yeah. He was, he bugled. Um, and then Mark bugled <laughs> back and I'm, I didn't know it was Mark. I thought it was a Doug Flutie. <laughs> I thought it was a, I thought there was a Flutie up on the mountain. I'm like, Oh no we are in a race to get to the bowl before this other Flutie gets up there. Right.
0: And I'd, uh, I see, and I'm not like, I don't, is a, a Flutie, uh, is that a common term? I've never heard it before. A Doug, a
2: Doug Flutie is another hunter. If you say I got Doug Flutie, you got called in or I Doug flutied somebody. Yeah, I think born and raised kind of coined that maybe.
0: Okay. Cause that Luke was like, shit, there's a Doug Flutie up here. I was like, what the hell's that? <laughs> you're like, there's another hunter. Now we're going to have to race another hunter to this damn bull, you know? Um, so yeah. And then we heard him sound off at like the top. And then all of a sudden we heard him sound off like down towards the bottom too. Right. So then we like dropped down this ridge, another, I don't know, two, 300 feet. And we were down there and we're like, all right, we're down here. Where is he? And he sounded off up at the top again. And so we hiked our ass back up, and we sit down to take a break after hiking that up. And I remember you looked at me. You're like, "God damn it, Heller! This is going to be one of those bowls that's just going to drag us all over the mountain. and We're never going to
1: see the damn thing." <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the winds were kind of going crazy at this point because it's like that 10 o'clock ish time frame where winds are going up, they're going down, they're swirling, they're going sideways, and we're like, "Well, let's just sit here for a few minutes." and kind of wait for things to kind of settle down see see where this one goes. Um, and we didn't hear him again. We sat there, I think we made ate a little snack, and we didn't hear him yeah. again. Uh, we're like, well, let's press on. We thought he was over, you know, down the ridge. So let's let's continue going this way and see if we can't get, get him to spark off again.
0: Yeah, uh, so we popped up. So we were like, I don't know, like, if you imagine like a, a bike wheel, like in the center is like the top of the mountain, and you have all the spokes coming off. That's kind of like which were like ridge tops that are kind of coming off the top of this thing. That's kind of how we were, and we were we were like ten yards, twenty yards below one of those ridge tops on one side. So we we after we ate that snack, we popped up over the top of it, and maybe we were there for like five minutes, and he sounded off right, kind of on the edge. Was no, that- actually,
1: we, we moved forward, and I've been a huge – I've changed my tag this year of not doing a whole bunch of bugles because I feel like it's been scaring them. And we kind of move up, I don't know, 100, 200 yards. Cow call, nothing. Move up a little bit. We Cow called, nothing. Then we moved up again a third time. And then I piped off a bugle and some chuckles, and then he cut me off. Yeah, that's right. Once he cut me off, I was like, "Hell, we're killing this bull. Like he's close. He's 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 pumped up. This is a perfect situation."
0: Yeah, and we were in like this. Uh, we were in some aspens that had a bunch of brush in it that were probably that's probably like four to seven feet tall. You know, kind of scattered throughout. But then on the other side of like this big, like it's not really a basin. i'd call it more of like i don't know i would call it a ditch but on the other side of this big ravine it was like more pines and darker timber so you were like he's in that dark timber um we're gonna call him out so just get i'll I'll stay here and call get your ass up there and there's like this big branch right on the trail and this stuff's pretty thick and it's loud and there's like this big tree branch and i was like i How am I going to get around this without making noise? And you're like, who fucking cares? You're pretending you're an elk, dude. Just go through it.
1: Yeah, (laughs) he's like. Heller stops 20 yards from me after I tell him to get up there. He goes 20 yards, looks back, and goes, I can't go anywhere. I'm like, get the hell up there. That's not going to do anything. Get up there and get there now
0: (laughs) yeah exactly so so i was like all right well i just so i just picked up this big branch and made a bunch of noise and just you know went underneath it and and pushed forward and by the time it was all said and and before i left there were two things that that mark you told me one and luke you told me the other marks like doorway principle when when that elk comes out of like that timber or whatever it's like in you need to be able to like see it because he's going to come out of that and he's going to start looking for whatever the hell it is he's looking for. If he's looking for cows or another bull or whatever, you know? And then the other thing was Luke, you were like, he's gonna, there's a, I know there's a trail on top of this Ridge on, on the spine of this thing that they like to run. And it's, that's about 20 yards up from us. Don't let him get up there. Cause that's where our wind's blowing. He's going to try to get up there and run that trail right over to us and get the high ground on us and and he's gonna smell us right so so i in my brain i had two things i was like all right i need to get close enough that when he comes out of this dark timber i got i got good odds of of him being in range and then the other thing was don't let him get above me so i need to be able to shoot like i need to have a good lane if he tries to go uphill so i move forward and um and I, and i end up about 50 60 yards up in front of luke and i just find a couple good trees to like stand up against that don't really break up my outline i'm just standing next to them but um, but i'm in some thicker ish cover but i got good lanes it, it's it's all looking pretty good and i remember like on un, on un, uh, unbuckling my pack just so like it wasn't like I was like, "Do I take off my pack? do I not take off my pack? What do I do? You know I'm kind of freaking out in this scenario for some reason, I felt like unbuckling my pack, so I just unbuckled my hip straps and then there were like these twigs that were coming up that were kind of like I pretended to draw my bro. I was like, all right, I got to break these twigs off, and I just stood there, and then Luke just kept uh cow calling you know every fifteen, 20 seconds did you do did you throw another bugle in there?
1: No, I did the one bugle to pipe him off, and then um, just started raking and doing yeah. some views And he was just building up his, you know, his aggression. And just kind of kept building on him. Um, more raking, more cow calls, and yeah, by that time you were set up, and that's when when he came out for you.
0: Yeah, so so like I'm just sitting there, kind of watching this area. And we were on the same elevation as this elk, you know, he was also, you know, just around this bowl on the other side of pretty much the same elevation. And so I'm sitting there and he had put, he piped off. So he piped off in the original spot where, where he cut you off on your original bugle. And then as you were cow calling and I was standing there, he bugled again and he was a lot closer and I was like, Oh shit, this is actually going to happen. So then I'm just standing there and I see like he comes out directly behind a tree from where I'm looking. And the only reason I saw him was like one of the smaller trees at like 50 yards that he went by had moved. So when it moved, I like peeked around. I was like, holy shit, there he is right there at like 50 yards. And I had pre-ranged all these spots. And so I'm standing there like, oh shit, this is, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. And he comes in And he gets to about like 25 to 30 yards. And, um, and he's still directly behind this tree. I haven't had a good look at him. And he turns to go, I, and he was going to, if he just kept coming straight to you, he was going to come past me at like less than 10 yards. Like it was going to be nuts. Um, But he turns to go uphill exactly as you had thought Luke to get our, to get up on that upper trail and get our wind. So he turns and he takes two, two, three steps, and he stops in a, in a one of my shooting lanes that's perfectly set up where, if it's in between two trees and if I, I thread the needle and put this arrow between these two trees, uh, I'm gonna hit him in the vitals, and if I don't, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stick a tree and I'm gonna miss. So I just gotta thread the needle between these two trees, which has been very effective for me. Um, that's how I shot this. This buck right here. <laughs> he stopped in a perfect spot where I was like, I can't fuck up this shot. Or I'm gonna hit a tree. And to give perspective, he was at about 25 yards, and these two trees were at about like 18 to 20 yards. So I just had to put it through there and I drew back and um I just kind of blacked out and I knew both my 30 and my 20 pin were right on him. I knew he was over 20 and under 30, and I just pulled the trigger. Um and my nocturnal went off and I saw it just pass right through the vitals and I was like fuck yeah it just happened And he just went running off exactly where he came from I lost him after you know 20 yards or so and I just turn around and I see Luke he's got his arms up in there like kind of going what happened and I'm just sitting there like fist pumping the air really hard and Luke just starts <laughs> freaking out and I start freaking out oh, I was I should have done that thing, Mark, where you did after you shot your elk, which was record, you know, your reaction. I thought about that like previously in the week. And I just like, I just lost, you know, you just lose it in the moment. I'm just like, ah, this is crazy. You know? So, um, so I just lost it. But yeah, I mean, and then Luke came running in and we were like, he's like, what happened? I was like, dude, I just center punched him. He goes, and after Luke shot, um, that elk and and another guy in camp shot. He had shot a bull and it ran onto private and the rancher didn't give us permission and it was just chaos there. Um, but Luke was like, "Is it is it dead? Is that elk dead?" And I was like, "Dude, if it's a whitetail, it's dead." But I don't know. Apparently, these things these things have nine lives. So I know I like I know I punched that thing right in the lungs. It should be dead. Um, So, and I didn't see my arrow like pass through. I didn't see it on the other side or anything like that. I was just, I just saw my nocturnal go into them in the vitals and just disappear. So I knew I had really good penetration at least like, you know, um, so we went up onto that trail. We went 20 yards up onto that trail that the elk like to use. And we just, like, I was like, yeah, let's just give it 30 minutes and we'll go look for the arrow and, and then we'll start trailing and whatever. And so we're, we're just up there sitting there, shooting the shit, um, grabbing some food. I'm freaking out, partially crying, super emotional. Like I have no idea. Like is maybe this is what it feels like? You know, to be on menopause or something. But I was just like super high, super like crazy, like a massive amounts of anxiety. Like, are we gonna find this thing? Are we not gonna find this thing? Is the shot as good as I thought it was? Just just chaos going through my head. Um, and uh and luke you didn't you didn't help the situation at all <laughs> you're were, you were just like yeah yeah dude this is a lot of anxiety isn't it
1: <laughs> I was like, my anxiety is going too i'm like there there's already been two bullet shot not recovered right it's not it's uh, not got it till we got it so right I'm just I'm just trying to like
0: keep the confidence in my own head like no like that was a good shot I know it was a good shot that's a good shot so we um yeah we're sitting there and then all and Luke's like eating something and all of a sudden he looks over my shoulder and he goes oh I like turn around and there's a cow elk standing there at 20 yards we're just like oh shit you know tried to and they had winded us and they blew out of there. We, we thought we could get another shot at them, but they were gone. So after that debacle it was about 45 minutes and we started looking for my arrow. and we probably spent 10 minutes looking for my arrow, didn't find it. Um, but then we found some blood and we started working our way on that blood trail. and after about, I don't know five yards on the blood trail, there was my arrow. So my arrow like passed just about all the way through. And it was hanging out of, it had to be hanging out of the elk by the knock. Because when we found it, it, it was the entire arrow except for the knock. That was the only thing left. And my nocturnal had been like shoved into my shaft. Because that thing lasted for almost four days. I still, I like, like, because the, the little LED in there was still lit. Um, and it was like stuffed into the shaft of my arrow. But just like the clear... The clear actual knock piece was gone, so so we were following the blood and Luke we had lost it. We lost it a couple of times for maybe like five to ten yards or so, and it was not a lot of blood. It really wasn't. There was a couple spots that looked like they had some bubbles in there. I remember looking at one spot being like, "Oh yeah, it's got bubbles in it, like good blood." And Luke looks at me, he's like, "Yeah." And both of us knew in our head, like, no, <laughs> <laughs> we we're both just trying, good. Be... <laughs> just trying to be confident about it. Like, Oh man. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. You know? And you could sense like, I mean, with every step, like our, uh, our confidence was like slowly decreasing, like 1%, like, fuck, where is this thing? And every hunter has, has felt that before. Like, Oh my God, why is this thing not opening up? Why am I, why is it such a low blood trail? You know, and at one point, and we were, it was in really soft dirt too. So we could kind of track him and we actually, I tracked him right back to his original bed. Um, He didn't go there, but I was just following the wrong tracks, but his original bed where he got out of come, come from and stuff, but he'd ran right past it about, I don't know, five yards past his original bed and um we're just working that blood trail back and at about like 70 yards or so i was like man he had to have come up over this rock and i and i stood up on the rock and i couldn't see any blood and i just look over and behind this like wall of pines there he is like just dead or deader than dead laying up against the trees and i'm like luke there he is there he is and and luke looks at me he goes where and i'm like right there he's dead and luke's like where is he and i'm like well, you don't fucking believe me? Looks <laughs> <laughs> like, no, I need time to see him. I need the proof. See it. Yeah, right? Looks like, I need the proof. And Luke was down below me, actually, on like the level of the elk. So like Luke takes a couple steps and looks at it. He's like, oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he goes, he goes, throw a stick at it. We don't need to be like the Oregon guy. <laughs> like, the guy that walked up on the elk and he got got stabbed and died so I throw a stick. I didn't even <laughs> hit the damn thing. I like hit a branch through another stick, hit another branch and eventually got it and hit it and it didn't move or anything. We walked upon it and, and there it was, man. I had, um, and he was just, yeah, it was, it was a nice four by four. I mean, I am extremely happy and, and very still very, uh, humbled with the elk and, and I remember you asking me as well. You are like, how big was he? I was like, I don't know, four or more. <laughs> I was like, he's at least four. You know, I didn't even have time. Like, I was just like, no, I'm, I'm shooting
1: this thing. He um, sounded like a big six, I'll tell you that. He did not sound like a four. Yeah, when like
0: he was screaming.
1: Like, yeah, he, he had a nice growl to him. He, was, he sounded big. I was pretty surprised that the, the little four, you know, couldn't could monster what he did.
0: But, uh, yeah, I remember you saying, like, I remember you thinking, like, dude, maybe that wasn't the elk. Maybe he just came, that was a satellite that came
1: in, and that's that bigger bull was still back in there. That still crosses my mind if there was two in there. Yeah. That was, it was, he was whatever it was, he was piping off some pretty big bugles.
0: Yeah. And I'm, maybe what? they can't.
1: Like, I don't care. <laughs> and oh,
0: we ended yeah. him yeah. Uh, we shot him at 10 30. So Mark left us at 9.30, we shot him at 10.30, and we found him at 11.30. And at 11.30, uh, Luke sent out the in-reach message of, hey, uh, Heller shot a bull and recovered. And at that point in time, Mark had, like, just gotten to the lodge and and got a cinnamon roll.
2: (laughs) There's this this place uh, that has Wi-Fi that is not a short hike or drive. Uh, from where but it's the only place you can get any kind of Wi-Fi, no cell reception or anything. And I get there and I hop on the first call and I'm like, all that went through my mind is he's got to be joking. <laughs> this is a joke. So what was it? 2.6 2. miles in or 2.8 miles in and then I obviously <laughs> hiked 2.8 miles out and then I ran 2.8 miles back in and then had to yeah. hike out. So it was, it was, uh, but it was worth it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Luke and I put on five miles that day, and Mark put on ten.
2: <laughs> ten with a rear quarter. Yeah, yeah. But I, I think, I think Luke wins the award with the heaviest pack. Uh, <laughs> I, I obviously didn't have my, you know, bow that weighs eight pounds, and I also didn't have a kill kit and all the other things that you take elk hunting. So I completely emptied my pack. So I just had my EXO, which weighs like what four and a half pounds, and like some water and some mountain ops and and my Havilon, and that's yeah. pretty much like that's all I need I'm going
0: like <laughs> that <laughs> no so. yeah 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 for sure Luke definitely got the heaviest pack um so yeah Luke sent out that in to to all the guys and and seven of the nine actually showed up so people ask me how the pack out was and I have to tell them like embarrassingly like Dude, it wasn't it wasn't bad for
1: me <laughs> at <Yeah>. all <laughs> dude, the lightest pack out of the whole load it's his bowl pack like 30 pounds maybe <laughs>
0: dude i will yeah i will Next say like weeks. my credit like <laughs> todd was organizing the whole thing and like i'm sitting there trying to get the head off the elk and um and and it all comes down and i'm like all right what what's my load and todd's like the head and i was like that's it and he's like, yeah, everyone else has something else. And I was like, I feel like I'm missing out on some of the experience here. And he's like, fine, just throw a tender. You can have the tenderloin bag, <laughs> you know, so he gave me like an extra 15 pounds to throw in my bag. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, so we ended up, I mean, we got, yeah, we got to yep. that bowl at 1130. We cut them all up and and took pictures and hung out and did the whole thing. And we ended up leaving there about three o'clock um
2: so pro tip what's pro that? tip uh pro tip yeah is when, when you call in a bugling elk for somebody and they offer you the entire back strap <laughs> you need to confirm that you go home with the entire back strap <laughs> and not the neck meat <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah. So we ended up packing that whole thing out. And I, I don't know, I think like someone switched the meat bags because Luke and I were sitting there and I was like, Luke, what do you want? Like you pretty much called this whole thing in. I just made the shot. Um, oh, and the shot, by the way, um, I passed through, he was quartering towards slightly. Um, I passed through the front left shoulder, got both lungs and came out the other side. So um, it was a, it was not the best shot in the world, but also it's a reason why I shoot heavy arrows, heavy poundage. And I fortunately have a 30 inch straw. So I got a lot of momentum behind my arrow. Um, but, uh, but yeah, we, we, I don't know what Luke, Luke so Luke's like, dude, I'll, whatever you kind of want to give me. I'm like, do you want the whole backstrap? Like what else? Is that, is that cool with you? And Luke was like, yeah, that'd be awesome. It's like, okay, cool. Pull out when your game bags, we'll put this whole strap in one bag and make sure you take that home. Well, someone had like switched up the game bags or something because <laughs> I end up with two backstraps at my house when I'm butchering it back in Wisconsin, and Luke sends me a picture of some neck meat, some rib meat, and a little bit of like scrap off a quarter. He's like, "This is not the backstrap."
1: Yeah, it's like 7:30, 8 o'clock. I'm thinking, I'll you know cut this backstrap up, be done in an hour. Got like 40 pounds of neck meat go through four blades of my
0: yeah my knife man yeah I felt so bad about that but um but it's on your way it's on your way right now Mark's (laughs) Mark's dad swung by today and I and I dropped it in there with a couple other goodies so so yeah there's a couple other things in there for you guys um but uh but yeah, so we ended up packing seven dudes, packed that thing out. One shot it took us like an hour and a half to get out of there, um, and and yeah, I mean everything about it was was awesome, and it was just it was so cool that it that it happened the way it did. Like it was truly like an elk hunting experience where where somebody's calling, this bull is bugling back. You're in it. You're you know you're in between the caller and the bull, and he just comes in and he's fired up and ready to roll and then you get the shot like that's i mean that's every everything a hunter could dream for and last day to hunt yeah it was yeah it was the last last full day to hunt you know and so saturday I got to sleep in a little bit and help pack up camp and all that stuff and yeah i mean over like overall is just phenomenal hunt and it was we were in i hear, heard Bogle bugles every day like i said and then um and i mean in camp in general like we actually had a warden swing by um like what an hour before we left just comes flying into our our campsite blocks the exit (laughs) and we're like we're all kind of like wow this guy seems like he's gonna pretty upset and within like i don't know five minutes we were sharing pictures with each other of elk (laughs) and he was he was super cool warden and um We ended up, Mark got a cow, Todd got a cow, this other guy in camp, Brady, who was not one of the seven that came to help me. He was actually only 500 yards away, and he had a dead cow while we were sitting there cutting it up. And we were – Luke and I were making jokes because we knew uh, Brady and – God, what's his brother's name? Billy. 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 Billy we're coming in to this kind of similar area from the other side. So we knew they were coming in and Luke and I were sitting there like, what if that's them making those bugles, (laughs) you know, and they're like coming right to us, you know, and the Doug Flutie that we're like trying to fend off is (laughs) Billy and Brady. Uh, But uh, yeah, he ends up shooting a cow like 500 yards from us, but he doesn't have an in reach. So we all roll back to camp and there's just a note that says shot a cow. Here's the GPS we're all
2: going to go try to track it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Going to go try to track it. And we're just like, all right, well, did he make a good shot? Did he not make a good shot? We're all pretty freaking tired, you know? Dark. (laughs) Yeah. It's dark. We're like, well, if it's, you know, if he finds it, he can just, you know, quarter it out and just, we'll just go get it in the morning. It's like 30 degrees at night. We'll just help him. You know, there's no need for him to haul it all out tonight. And they end up hauling the whole thing out that night. They ended up finding it 60 yards from where he shot it, um, and uh, yeah, and they just packed him and Billy just packed it out right there by themselves.
2: So we we had seven elk tags in camp, and all seven of us uh, flung an arrow. Yeah, yeah. We had one. We had one miss, six hits. Yeah, um, four elk, and four elk. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and it just just
0: so happened that the that the two that we lost were uh, were bulls, were good bulls. Luke's Luke's impossible, and then um, Zach had it that that morning where where I was out and they were on the private, forty yards off the private. Him and Todd went back there the following day when you and I went back to where you shot your cow, and um, they ended up just bumping into him on the public and called one into. was it 12 yards he said zach
2: under 10 yeah 10 um broadside and did not did not find it um yeah which actually leads to a good point on so probably the biggest lesson i've learned about this because i switched my setup after that first bull i shot in the shoulder is you know and and every all these whitetail hunters you know you're going to get somebody's going to say well you know I, i i shot muzzy you know 400 spine arrows with a muzzy 125 or 100 and I killed this, right? So obviously you can kill, you can kill an elk with anything. It's, it's what happens when you don't have the the perfect shot, which with all these different things, exactly
0: what happened with my
2: elk ranging, you hit something, you know, it's just like uh, you need to find a good mix of, you know, I think front of center and arrow weight and and speed where you can still range and make a, a great shot because you know we've had uh you know i think every hunter's had some some tough opportunities where you don't have two holes in the animal it's hard to track blood so a lot of us uh shoot heavy front of center arrows um and you know since we switched to that with the bear and the the elk that i've shot we've all you know i've had only you know only pass throughs so i've tried to maximize the uh arrow weight the the arrow broadhead weight For the spine, I shoot with just 300 grains, so I shoot 225 grains up front. So it's a 200 grain broadhead with a 25 grain outsert, and then that's the max I can do on a 300 spine arrow at 27 inches. So it ends up being like 22. At 70 pounds. Yep, at 70 pounds. So 22 and a half percent front of center. It's very very similar to what Luke shoots. Um, And since I switched that setup, what's that, Luke? Pretty much the same thing. Yeah. Okay yeah but since our, our pretty much our entire group is switched to that high kind of foc setup um you know my total arrow weight's like 470 so i'm not super super heavy but i'm only 27 and a half inch draw, so right. my arrow speed's like 280 uh maybe uh 282 so it's a good mix where i have a little bit of forgiveness but i have a lot of penetration so that's that's personally what's worked best for me, and you know, obviously, the first couple of times I was out here, I was shooting white, you know, white tail setup, and and just yeah, I'm pretty confident that I would have killed that bull uh, with the setup I have today. Uh, that yeah. you know, I only got six inches of penetration on. So
0: yeah, and I, I I would, I mean, I don't have a whole lot of experience in that, but I mean, a friend of mine, Parker, was out there, and he he just shoots, he likes. I mean, he's a big dude and he can easily pull 70, but he likes to shoot 60 pounds because he can hold it for a longer draw. So he shoots that and he shoots a more, a faster arrow. I mean, he's probably got a 30 inch draw and he shoots like a 430 grain arrow or 450 grain arrow, you know? And um, and I remember he shot a bull and he hit it in the shoulder and it just stuck. You know, he got four inches of penetration. It was a nice six by six. And he was just like, shit like it sucks you know blah 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 and I'm like well why don't you shoot a heavier arrow and he's like well because then I you know I probably wouldn't be able to hold my bow as long or you know I was like crank it up to 70 and shoot a heavier arrow and you know he had these reasons why not and I was my thought is like when you're when you're picking out your arrow setup and what to shoot I know personally that like I wanted to set up a scenario that was pretty much like what a lot of people would call overkill for whitetails, but I want to be able to take that exact same setup and go out West and be able to shoot elk with it and do fine. Like, I just want, like, that's the setup I want. I don't want to have to switch arrows or anything like that. So, um, so when, when I'm picking that stuff out, one of the thoughts that always rolls through my head is that um, you shoot, if everybody made a perfect shot, then you would just shoot field tips because they fly the most accurate, you can sharpen those things down and they'll get the most penetration. But the reason you shoot broadheads is because you're not always perfect and you want a larger cutting diameter for those off chances or those mistakes, right? When you're an inch off, when you're two inches off, when you're four inches off, whatever, you want that larger cutting diameter to to get that. And you're gonna get better, just better penetration with a sharp broadhead. So that's the same thought when I'm building an arrow is I want to build an arrow that in case I hit a front shoulder, I want to be able to have good odds that I'm going to blow through it. You know? So the arrow that I, that I ended up building was a 530 grain arrow in total weight. It's 125 grain iron will broadhead um, the wide cut with, I think it's, it's a black Eagle rampage arrow with a 50 grain outsert or a half out on the front. So that's 175 grains up front. And then I have the fletching in the, in the nocturnal on there and it totals out actually the nocturnal probably puts it at like 540 grains or so. So, I mean, it's just a, it's a heavier arrow. And then, like I said, 30 inch draw and 75 pounds. And I shoot 276 feet per second or something like that. Um, and obviously it did the trick. I mean, it worked like, you know, I shot, I shot, I hugged the shoulder too close. I thought I, I thought I was in the right spot. Like I said, I kind of blacked out, but hugged the shoulder close, punched through it, you know, and and I got both lungs and it died. And I, you know, if I was shooting a 450 grain arrow or a 430 grain arrow, and I was shooting 300 feet per second or 310, I don't think I would have been able to do that. I don't think, I think it would have hit and just kind of, Really slowed down, and I maybe would have got one lung, maybe two, but I definitely wouldn't have got a pass through.
2: Yeah, I think it's interesting that I don't think there's, uh, at least from my experience, I have such different consistency in terms of shooting the same broadhead I shoot Valkyries, but I'll have some animals that, like this cow I shot at 61 yards, you know, she didn't go very far, but there's just blood all over the place, right? Not of both sides. uh looked like a massacre. I know Luke's was blood six feet up on the trees uh, where he shot his elk last year. Um, this six by six that I shot last year, uh, the arrow went through, almost no blood on the arrow, um, and the elk went 15 yards. Uh, no blood in between where I had shot and where the elk had died. There was blood there. Um, and that was um, a little bit below the heart. So it just, you know, the bear I shot, uh, blood all over the place, went 10 yards. Um, but it was a frontal and it went all the way through it and you know he was only two yards from me so maybe that doesn't really have a lot but you know even some of the whitetails it's just like I haven't found a consistency in terms of I don't think it's so much that the broadhead of wow I have this broadhead so I have a great blood trail or it was the broadhead and had a shitty blood trail I think it's a lot of times of what you hit with the broadhead inside of the animal what dictates the the blood trail so you see a lot of these people saying Oh look at look at these rage broadheads! Look at all the blood and just such a small sample size. Or look at this broadhead yeah. and look at how little blood I got. It's such a small sample size that I think it's more of where you hit the animal, and certainly and the. the an- I think it's. Yeah, and the angle too. Yeah,
1: and, I and think that also
2: two yeah. holes are better than one. The further you go into that, if you have two holes in both sides and your arrow's not plugging it up, you're going to get more blood than if the you know right. Uh, you're gonna get yeah, less blood than if the arrow went all the way through I and mean, it can pour out both sides. But
0: yeah. And this that the elk that we shot, I mean, he Luke saw it, he plugged up the exit wound. Like it was a hundred percent plugged. There was zero blood on the exit side. Yeah. All the blood that we had found was coming out the entrance. And the other thing was that when we cut him open, I mean, gallons of blood poured out of his chest cavity. Yeah. You know, it was all just stuck in that chest cavity. And that's something that I like was talking about someone else too, is just like, you know, when you're whitetail hunting and you're shooting from above and you're shooting down, a lot of the times that exit wound is pretty low on the animal and will help drain the blood out of that chest cavity, you know, as it starts to fill up. Whereas a lot of times elk, you're at eye level with them. So when you shoot, you know, you're, you're, you don't have like an angled shot. You're just shooting in, in parallel with it. And it's just the height that it is when you hit it, you know? So if you hit it low, you're probably going to get a better blood trail than if you hit it high just because the blood and gravity comes down. But I, you know, I don't know, but it was, it was crazy to me to see that in 80 yards after that shot, he had completely plugged that, that exit hole and the knock wasn't in it. I, I, in my brain, I was like, oh, the knock must be in there and there must be some sort of clock. And I was looking around for my knock and it was gone. I don't know where the hell it went, but it was not in there. So yeah, no. So that's, that's the story of the elk hunt. Um, Oh, and I was going to say that warden said our group by far did the best out of anyone he had checked, you know, in that area. Um, In terms of, in terms of numbers, we know the, uh, the the man we call the Violator up the road had shot a pretty nice six by seven, but um, he shot it on a water hole that he'd hunted for what like twenty five days or something like that. He he's gonna listen to
2: this podcast and be offended now. <laughs> I don't he's
0: I don't I don't, I don't think we care, years. and I'm pretty sure Todd would tell him to fuck off anyway. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, he's been hunting the same water hole for like twenty years. Yeah, he's so this guy.
2: 68 years old he has a couple water holes that aren't far off the road that he sits and he puts his camper there Um, I think we call him the two reasons we call him the violator first off he leaves his camper there from like August 25th through the end of the season which you're only supposed to camp there for 14 days not that many people care but the second reason is I think they shot a bear and an elk in the same day and he they chose to pick the elk out first and uh, didn't take any of the bear meat because it was spoiled so just packed out the hide well in Colorado you need to take uh, at least four quarters, which the game warden checked us for. Uh, he was pretty excited that we took the heart and the liver and a bunch of the other stuff we didn't need do, but, uh, <laughs> Curry. Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, but fat. Have, yeah, yeah, golf at, but yeah, so he, he, uh, he went to go register his bear and they asked him where the meat was and he told them it was spoiled. So he got he a ticket written for him because yeah. they shot the elk and the bear in the same night. And, for those of you guys who have shot a black bear before, you need to get that hide off of that thing, you know, probably within a couple hours of shooting it. Uh and he just went back there the next morning uh to go get it. Uh the meat was all wrecked, so he ended up getting a, a right. pretty hefty ticket. It was
0: quote quote unquote spoiled.
2: Yep. Hence <laughs> yeah. the name the the violator. The
0: violator. Yep. Um Yeah. And we did. Yeah. That's a good point that you bring up is like this kid that we were with one of the seven Luke Curry. He just watches like everything meat eater related. And so after we're done butchering this elk, I'm sitting there trying to take the head off and he just starts digging through the gut pile. (laughs) Like what can I take out of here? I remember he ends up, he pulls the heart, which is cool. Like, yeah, I'm glad we grabbed that because we cooked up your cow elk heart that night and it was really good i never had heart before so we got the
2: elk heart and pancakes
0: yeah so- elk heart and pancakes <laughs> and tender and inner tenderloin was our meal that night um and more yeah yeah and then we yeah he took the call fat um and wrapped some inner tenderloin in it and then he pulls out this thing and he goes hey guys do you know what this is and we all kind of look at it and we're like no he goes i think it's a kidney but it looks like meat. I think I'm going to take it. <laughs> <laughs> so he t- he took it. Um then he also uh uh yeah, he took that. He took the liver. What did you like better,
2: Rocky Mountain oysters or Oh
0: yeah, and he cut up one of the testicles and we ate that too.
2: Uh, and, and the other the other testicle, I don't know if you found it yet. It's in your sleeping bag. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whatever
1: <laughs> that sleeping, bag. I did not eat the testicles. I said I only eat Rocky Mountain clams, not the Rocky Mountain oysters. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a homo, uh, yeah, uh, yeah.
0: So, um, yeah, so we ended up, uh, yeah, we ate one testicle. I would say, I mean, the heart was definitely better, the, the elk. The elk balls, they're were... the elk ball. I don't know what I mean. Did you we guys? Did, eat we it? didn't
2: deep, we didn't deep prime. He just cooked them no. like, in the ghee.
0: Yeah, he just cooked ghee. them right on the right ghee on the grill, like a, like,
2: Ghee It's and, like a yeah, it oil.
0: Fun. Yeah, I didn't think it was. I mean, it wasn't bad. It's kind of one of those things that when you're eating, you're like, ah, this is this is a
1: testicle <laughs> that I'm eating right now, <laughs> 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 you know? If you tasted the or it doesn't get much different than that
0: yeah 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 (laughs) um but uh but no I mean we ate yeah we definitely ate more than I usually would and and Wes was all about it Wes was like dude you gotta eat it it's your first elk. you gotta eat it you gotta eat it (laughs) so egging me on and a few drinks you know yeah we're we're in it um but anyway yeah that's the uh that's the whole story Um, you guys got anything to add otherwise we can wrap this up we've been on here for a long time
2: I know it's midnight your time so I'm sure you're ready to get to bed
0: yeah I am this is my second podcast and I've been talking to people since 8 o'clock so for the last four hours
1: (laughs) well no you Um, you you got a pro tip to leave us with Luke uh me on the spot, let drive. Oh, yeah, let drive. That is the pro tip <laughs> For sure. Let. Sweatshirts coming your way. I'm, I'm making them, let yeah.
0: Sweatshirts, hell yeah, yeah. hell yeah.
1: With the deer, van, deer Van logo on the sleeve.
0: Yeah, we'll,
2: we'll get, get Deer Van there. to spot.
1: Towers yelling at me, she's like, What the hell are you doing? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, yeah for anyone that doesn't know let drive is Luke's like family term for just fucking shoot like let drive let it roll (laughs) Uh, yeah that'll be a good one I like I I like that one a lot and then I like uh, Aaron Snyder's like if there's carbon in the air there's hope (laughs) I like that
1: all
0: right We're done with those guys. I'm going to quit the recording and if you guys want to stay on
1: and chat we can, but otherwise I'm...
2: I'm How long was that?